You're listening to Tech Nest, the PropTech Podcast. In each episode, you'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. Discover market opportunities, interesting data, growth tactics, and trends driving the industry forward. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. All right, I've got a fun episode for you. I'm going to keep the intro short because I just want to jump into it. I'm talking with Lily Liu. She's the CEO of Pinata. She's a veteran CEO, has built and sold previous company. She's worked in government, and that was her beginning stages before ever getting into prop tech. And I think that's a fascinating in of itself. You want to talk about tough industries to be in. When we're talking about renter amenities, specifically rent reporting and rent rewards, and what Pinata has been able to create, the adoption that they're gaining is quite incredible. They're working with some of the, the true leaders in property management and operations, Morgan Properties, Renters Warehouse. And I'm really excited to share with you the vision that she has for amenities moving forward. What is, you know, may some today think is excessive or not necessary is really going to be the standard moving into the future. Let's just jump right in and hear what she has to say. Hey, Lily, welcome to the show. Hey, Nate, thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you. Um, I know I said before the show, it you know, I've been seeing you a while it was since since Vegas, and then you were like, which time? Because <laughs> you've been part-time <laughs> living in, in Vegas going to conferences. Apparently. Apparently every conference in PropTech this year wants to be in Vegas for some reason. So I for found everyone myself listening, really every month. <laughs> everyone listening who's a part of planning uh, conferences, uh, I have a request: is to please <laughs> stop going to Vegas. It smells like an ashtray. It's so hot in the summertime, uh, and I don't know. I just can't be in the casino. It, and you never really, see you daylight. Do, you're at the conference center. Yeah, you never see. That's right. You don't see daylight, and then you go out, and there's like just bright lights in your face. Lily, if you were designing, um, where's the best? Where's the best city? You think? And time Ooh. of year for the prop tech conference. Where where should prop tech conferences be going? You know, come out. Let's do it on the West Coast one year. Maybe San Diego or Encinitas. Okay, I can <laughs> handle these- San Diego. Yeah. San Diego is not bad. Yeah, yeah, there it is. Well, it is California, and so I'll hold thoughts there. I'll just pretend it's a separate state, but I can do San Diego. So there's that. Well, I, I'm excited for our conversation here. Um, I know we got connected while at Blueprint earlier this year, uh, so this has been a little bit of uh, 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 an interview in the in the works to come. So I'm excited here, um, as we always do on the show. Uh, please go ahead, introduce yourself, let everyone know who you are and what you do. Great. So my name is Lily Liu. I'm the co-founder CEO of Pinata. Pinata is a rent rewards credit building and fintech platform designed to give more back to renters to really fix that part of the renting equation that's broken. And ultimately, our our thesis and mission here is that if we can do good for renters, we can also do good for property owners and operators and impact their bottom line. Love it. As someone who's been on the uh, 
and in the space of uh, improving the lives and working to at least deliver a better experience for renters as well as owners and operators. Um, I, I greatly appreciate that mission and, and what you're after. Before we get into the details on that, though, I think it'd be great. I'd, I'd love to set the stage. If you could share a little bit more about your background, because you've built other businesses, you've had quite a success track. Can you talk about your journey into PropTech? Absolutely. You know, I actually started my career in a really different space. I started in government and politics, and I did that for about half a decade. I was at the federal level, then I went to the local level, really felt like the federal level was too removed from people's day-to-day understanding of how they interacted with government. The local level, different set of challenges, but certainly when you think of how effective is my government, how do I feel about my government, it's did they pick up your garbage? Are your streets drivable? Uh, are your neighborhoods mm-hmm. safe? Are the schools good? And um, and you really get that level of exposure in local government. I was out in Long Beach, California, L.A. County, then went to work at Mayor Bloomberg's office focusing on Department of Ed um, issues, and it was a very intense couple of years over in New York City. When I left the administration, I started my first tech company, which was really taking a lot of the pain points I saw at the local government level, namely how hard it is for a resident to actually get services from their city. So I built Mm -hmm. with an amazing team the first uh, web and mobile tools for what we now know of as 311, non-emergency 911, scaled it to hundreds of cities in the U.S. We went abroad to other English-speaking areas. And then we also, towards the um, right before we were acquired, we ended up also selling to commercial retail buildings. So the Burj Khalifa, as an example, used the system where you'd be on the 100th floor, you can submit a broken light. Uh, issue and it creates that work order on the back end. And so we were acquired by Excella and then all acquired by uh, another larger group. And that whole process, I was there about a little less than two years and um, took a much needed break. Took about 10 months off, traveled, actually learned how to surf during that time and volunteered a bunch. And, and Short, um, short boards or long boards? <laughs> you know, I, I, um, I am not a tall person. By any means, you've met me in person, so you know. That. <laughs> and I think it's so. They're all longboards, is what you're saying. Yeah, like everything is long for me. Although for for a lot of people, they look at my boards and they say that thing is so tiny. So, um, but you know, I, I certainly learned on a longer board. I've had now a few years of experience under my belt. But um, yeah, I fell in love with it. But I also I became a short term renter in every city I was in, three mm. to six weeks, and started to feel the both joy and pain of being a renter again. You know, I think there are a lot of great things with flexibility and not having to worry about maintaining the units and really the cost of, of holding it. But, you know, I think for me, the decision was, um, you know, I'm not getting much back for that payment I'm making every single week, every single month. And if this was a mortgage, if it was a good investment, I'd be building equity. But at, at a baseline, even if it wasn't a good investment, I'd at least be building my credit score and my credit history mm-hmm. with those on-time rent payments. Or mm-hmm. if I had been putting this money towards Marriott Bonvoy, I'd be getting those points. And so really thinking through how can we do better for renters on what they're getting back for that rent payment, but also make it work for owner-operators because happy renters renew their leases, take care of units, they're referring their other renters, so really, ultimately, it can impact the bottom line for owner-operators as well. Okay, before we get into 
real estate. Uh, best spot to surf. Where's your favorite spot you've ever surfed? Oh, that's a really great question. You know, I'll always have a love for Indonesia because that's really where I I learned to be out in the ocean alone with some, some pretty beautiful waves. Uh, mm. And then Portugal. I've been to Portugal probably the most of any international spot. And I have to, I hate giving up these spots, but I won't say the specific surf spots, but all to say no, Portugal no, is no. a country. Very affordable, amazing people, amazing food, and some really great surf ranging from, you know, beginner level to some of the biggest waves in the world. I think there's similarities in the culture between surfing and, and BMX and skateboarding and that we, you know, there's an old adage of I show not tell uh, on the spots. <laughs> you only bring people to the spot, but that's, you have to be in the circle. You don't tell them exactly the location. So <laughs> we would have edited out the GPS coordinates anyway. So I wouldn't have done that to blow up those surf spots. So let, let's jump into it head first. Big problem that Pinata is working to solve for. What is it? So, you know, the big problems we're looking to fix at Pinata is really, again, that equation on what renters are getting back. And and it's really lopsided right now. You know, I think we talked to a lot of groups um, back when we were first starting this a few years ago. People would say, isn't the roof over their heads enough? And now we're really seeing a shift, especially in the single family, mid multifamily space where it's it's shifting towards a hospitality minded uh, focus area for renters really this concept of what used to be done on the um, on the hotel side which is the resort amenity mm-hmm. fees this concept of offering additional amenities is now something that's that's getting popular amongst uh, in the resi side as well you know how do we think about residential services as additional amenities we can add in to really enhance people's everyday uh, living experiences and what role does the landlord or owner operator play in offering those services? And I, mm-hmm. I think there's a, a very big ancillary revenue opportunity for these groups here. I also think there's an ability to look at the long tail impact of how this is impacting their ability to charge market rate rents, if not above. How does this really help them on looking at NOI for on time rent payments? And ultimately, if you are interested in ESG, what what is the S in ESG? You know, how do we actually ensure that renters are leaving the units in at least the same financial position, if not better, than they entered those units? So when we think about that, it's very much focused on credit scores and credit reports. But mm-hmm. there's a lot more we're doing there to think about the financial wellness of a renter. It's very cool. You know, ESG has been... Um... I, I'm not up to sometimes I feel like I don't know what's going on with me. I, I'm in the wrong generation because I don't keep up on all the trends. I feel like this is this is I've heard this term now. We've done three interviews just this week, uh, you know, prepping content to get through the holiday season. And that term has been thrown around quite a bit. Is there is there a financial motive? Is it a marketing angle that that's being raised more in especially in real estate circles? It's it's being talked about so much more and it doesn't just mean lead. It's more than just, you know, lead certification. What is it about being, you know, cognizant of ESG that has, you know, made it so what's the word when something's in, what, what, what do people say? What do they call that these days? Um, Vogue used to be the word. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. 
(laughs) (laughs) You know, it's interesting. It's, um, you know, ESG based on my government days was something people talked about, but very little action was ever done. And it's it's very hard to measure ESG initiatives and efforts. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, it, the feedback we hear is it's either something groups care about or they do. it's very black and white there it's very rare that groups kind of ride a middle line between you know kind of caring about ESG efforts or not and mm-hmm. for the groups that do and this is just my limited exposure and experience it unfortunately oftentimes is just a, a checkbox that they want to say hey we did something uh, but we are starting to see a shift in groups wanting to actually measure the impact that they're having on ESG. So ESG is environmental, social, and governance. And on the environmental side, I think that's that was typically the, the very clear ESG component that new buildings, at least, um, could mm-hmm. have an impact on, right? LEED certification. S is the social, right? So that's where you really want to think about how are you taking care of your employees and how are you taking care of your renters? And then the governance side, typically most groups do care about the governance piece. Um, on the S side, it's it's been hard for groups to understand what they do for renters. Um, I think it's really starting to pick up, the credit reporting side is really starting to pick up a lot of momentum. We're seeing that on our, our side as well. We used to have to educate mm-hmm. groups on why it's even important. Now groups are coming to us saying they have they have an internal push, whether it's coming from their investors that are requiring mm. them to have some sort of social impact for their renters. Um, in some states, it's actually state regulations. So in the state of California, you now have to offer credit reporting if you take any public uh, funding for your rental units. And we expect other states may follow suit in the next few years as well. So I think it's regulatory. I think it's driven by investors and and board governance. And Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, in some cases, we have groups that are just making an internal push. It's something they care about. And I think think companies are going beyond the do no evil and say it can't just be do no evil. It has to be actually do some sort of good, right? Try to at least track some sort of good. But it has been hard to quantify what that looks like when you roll out new programs. I think the beauty of credit reporting is you can quantify it. You can actually say, what has our footprint and our impact been over this period of reporting rent payments? The last few years, I've seen uh, quite a few products hit the market and they talk about services for renters, You know, better amenity management, building community, a lot of things that what you're talking about. And one of the challenges was that vacancy rates were very low. And it's hard to say this will improve your vacancy rate when vacancy rate has been low to begin with. But as the market is going through a little bit of a shift and you can't just rely on raising rents because that will not continue forever. In fact, we're seeing the data now showing that new asking rents are on a, a downward slope. I think this is going to have a lot of operators asking questions of, okay, what do we do to remain competitive here? And they, you know, there's the trap you can get into, get one month free when you sign a 14 month lease and then it bumps up and you play all these games or you could actually improve the living experience. Would you, would you agree that this is something that operators are really facing right now and actually ready to have more discussions about on-site amenities for renters? Yeah, absolutely. We're starting to see this 
this shift happen, it's almost like people are prepping for the calm before the storm. You know, we're in the calm before the storm <laughs> and it's coming. You know, winter's coming and let's get prepared. Um, we certainly have groups that are being really proactive, saying we need to stay competitive. We need to really think about our not just our tech stack, but our, our services stack. What does it look like? And listen, I think all of the groups, not all, but many of the groups we work with are pretty savvy. You know, they're looking at not only how is this going to impact uh, renewal rates and leasing rates, but also is there an ancillary revenue opportunity here? Can mm-hmm. they actually mm-hmm. drive uh, more revenue per unit per month? And and that's important for us to understand how we can help drive that number for them. But um, it, it's certainly something that's on people's minds is thinking through competition and the market right now and and these leasing cycles you know they're typically that six to 12 month period so it's you know we're going to blink and be in a different leasing state depending on your territory so it's important that these groups are getting ahead and offering it because what we're seeing is they're putting they're putting different amenities and services in the listing you you know you'll see these little badges on what what you can get if you're a renter with us versus the other guy down the road and mm-hmm. uh, and and we don't do these studies on on leasing and listings, but we we certainly track and follow a lot of them. But renters have reported to a third party surveying agency that they're seventy three percent more likely to choose a unit that offers credit reporting than a unit who doesn't. And it makes sense. It's a and it's an extra perk, an extra benefit. And um, you know, you also have to groups are starting to think about their public profile on a lot of these sites too what are people saying and we all know this one bad review can outdo the previous 10 great ones and unfortunately people consumers users renters with bad experiences are going to be the loudest so how do we create incentives to both capture the reality of what it's like to be a renter there you know for every hundred renters you get one negative review let's try to capture as many of those good reviews as we can so i think groups are starting to think about these things that typically in a hot market they had no need mm-hmm. to so things are starting to shift yeah totally i want to get into the brass tax on pinata here so let's let's actually do that um one how does it work who you know is it the property manager has to set it up can it be renter driven and then uh, walk us through uh practically the the different uh, benefits that you're specifically offering to renters? Yeah, so Pinata, how it works, essentially we partner with owner-operators of residential units, multifamily, single-family, all sizes and asset classes. Um, now we're early on the student side, although a lot of student groups uh, we're starting to focus on an onboard, and we don't yet have mm-hmm. manufactured um, housing, although you can use us in those use cases as well. When we partner, we roll out to the units and the renters across a portfolio. And something to keep in mind is we are not opt-in. All renters, think of it as a healthcare benefit. All renters are getting the benefit of rent reward. So every time they're paying their rent, they're passively getting all of these points in Pinata. They can use those points that same month, or they can actually decide to save those points and spend it on larger ticket items. And, um, you know, the thing with the points in our program is we see renters pop in three months, six months into the program and buy those higher ticket items uh, on the reward side. 
Now on the credit wow. reporting, that's built in as well. Yeah, that's right. And and so and on the re- reward side, just backing up a bit, the first question we always get is, well, what can renters get with their points in the program? So we have the most basic cash back and gift card options. Um, but we also have brands that provide merchandise offers. You can use it for subscription services like a food box or coffee, wine delivery service. And we also have um, virtual events. So you can do meditation classes and fitness classes and get a cooking chef with uh, an Italian chef in Italy. And the most recent category are actually raffles for large ticket items. So a lot of our surveying of our renters Um, They're saying they actually, based on the economic climate, they're not able to buy a lot of these aspirational things. So a flat screen Mm -hmm. TV, we have Roombas, Apple Watches, tablets, computers, uh, those workout mirror machines, a whole bunch of interesting reward drops every week. And we actually see it's incredible. I actually didn't think this would be as popular as it was. We have tens of thousands of renters that pop in within seconds after releasing one of these limited edition drops. And so we actually had to take a big engineering shift and say, wow. can we handle 100,000 renters popping in in two seconds into the app? And so and that's been actually a big internal investment to say we need to actually prioritize for this level of scale because we had no idea there was this appetite for renters. And you know what renters are saying? We want these things. We just can't afford them right now. And so we're going to use our points to try to get as big of an opportunity for these items uh, next year, we have some exciting things on the reward side. I mean, think very, very big ticket items uh, that will be released on, on some of these raffles and opportunities. So that's on the reward side, very incentivizing. It's all backed up and based on behavioral science mechanics of nudging and how do you nudge consumers to make good decisions. And it's incredible. People will... You know, you can get them to try to come in for a health trial that may cure them of a disease, may cure their kids of a disease, but they won't come in for that. But if you give them a $10 Starbucks gift card, they'll come in. You know, it's incredible to see the numbers on behavioral nudging. And it's the same thing if you want to be on a diet, use a smaller plate. If you want less litter in a city, put more garbage cans around at the right intersections. And it's Mm. the same thing with behavioral decisions, I think, in the in the renter space as well. Once renters move in, historically very hard to get renters to do what you want them to do, maintain the unit, renew the lease, post ratings, complete a survey. Now on the credit reporting side, there's nothing actively the renters have to do outside again of paying their rent in full and on time. They get the benefits of the credit reporting. The groups we work with, they don't have to do anything manual because we typically automate all of the data from the back end system. And we've really tried, I think a tough lesson for us early on was we were asking groups to do a lot of things to in the onboarding process. And we learned we need to streamline this and be as simple and light touch in the onboarding and rollout with our groups. And so that's really what we've optimized on with the uh, owners that we, that we partner with. So many things in there. Uh, Two things you mentioned that like brought me like flashbacks into a few of the books on the shelf behind me is the uh, the popcorn uh, um, uh, test. Uh, mm. I don't know if you're fam- where they gave people different size popcorn bags to see if they would eat the whole bag, and people will swear up and down. No, no, no. I would just only eat a certain amount. But no, yeah. in fact, they finish the, the amount bag. of popcorn yeah. that's in the bag. Um, and then, then on the trash can piece, that's Disney. 
all day. Yes. You know, how do you get people to make sure they put their trash in the trash can? Well, always have a trash can within a certain amount of steps all throughout all parks. And I think it's brilliant to, I mean, this is, uh, there's, I think there's so many lessons here of like, you're, you're taking what people already naturally inclined to either move in direction of or respond to and then meeting a market demand in similar way. I, I think it's really a smart approach that you're taking in, in building out this product. Um, and um, so I want to ask, you know, everything costs something. So there's some cost here. Who's paying what? Because all this sounds really good. So I want to know, like, is where's the catch? Yeah, great, great next question. Um, and, you know, it ranges based on portfolio size, of course, so we have tiered pricing. So everything I'm going to say now is really the starting point, but based on sizing, it will change. Okay. So the starting point for our rewards is a dollar per unit per month, and credit reporting is an additional fee, typically ranges, but call it around that $2 uh, price point. And all of that varies based on the package, if you're going to go with both, rolling out for your portfolio, and mm-hmm. certainly if you're uh, a larger group as well. Now, um, that said, that's not all of our revenue. You know, we do make revenue from the brands that participate on the platform because we get a lot mm-hmm. of groups saying, this this is an amazing deal. Some of our renters are getting hundreds of dollars back in rewards from the program. How do you guys, how do you fund that? And so a lot of uh, what we do is we focus on partnering with the right brands on the platform that pay us some sort of CPA for an action. And that action can vary. It could be as simple as a click, a link, uh, a view, or Mm -hmm. an additional future purchase. And when you think about the value prop for brands, they want to get in front of renters and offer them their great services and products. And everything's Mm -hmm. curated and vetted by our team before they even get in. So not any brand can be in the pinata ecosystem. And, um, and so that's another part of our revenue stream. And so that's, those are really the two areas we focus on right now is those partnerships with the groups and then the brands. And on the last, um, you know, and I, and I don't want, I, I really don't like to reflect on the pandemic as an entire time period but let's be real it's been all consuming of you know the last two years which feels like much longer than two years um but a lot of the a lot of financial pains have really maybe disproportionately been felt by renters over the last few years i mean rent hikes there was initial decline and you know it was mostly because like nobody was doing tours and you couldn't go see a place and then so if you had a vacancy like it was a really scary position to to be in a vacancy but you know with the just the rent increases of course consumer price index hitting everyone across the board uh you know incre- increasing prices knowing that and renters really being the primary au- audience how has that impacted your roadmap in what you're building today and thinking about what needs to be created, you know, in the near or long-term future? You know, it's been, um, it's a great question. It's been pretty core to a lot of what we've been doing on the planning side, both strategic planning and product planning as well. Everything for us, if renters love it, it's going to be valuable to the property groups. So while we have, we're focused on B2B right now, we always have um, a very big offering when it comes to value prop offering for the renters. And so 
during COVID, we actually started technically, we formed our, our founding team right before COVID. We squeezed in right before there in February of 2020, March hit. And our mission was a little bit different. You know, we started out um, having a platform that was really focused on offering services to the property owners and operators to help streamline operations. And a part of that was focusing on the renter benefit piece. And mm. it was a very big vision, very big backend platform. And we quickly learned during COVID, we need to we need to focus and hone in on the core value prop here and the differentiators in the market and what renters and property owners need. And um, what was not available on the market was something that could help alleviate a bit of that, that pain, that financial pain that renters were feeling during that time. And I think now are also feeling due to different different economic um, reasons. But big thing for us was we have people who can't pay their rent. We have renters mm-hmm. who you know, have lost their jobs or are you know, on hold and they're not able to work in their line of work anymore or for some unknown mm-hmm. period of time. And so we built in a mechanism that allowed for renters to get more back out of the points. But we had a big push to say these points need to be worth something in the rewards ecosystem. And that's what we really need to, that value prop is core and it will resonate with both sides of the market, the consumer renters and also our property owners. And so that was that was a, a big focus and continues to be. So moving forward, future facing, you know, we're looking at other product features that will be released next year, all of which has the focus on if you're in the majority of the renter base in this country, call it about 85% of renters in the country where you miss that rent payment when it leaves your bank account. You notice it. You know, there's probably a small amount of renters in the country who don't even care, don't even realize it left their bank account. It's auto pay. Mm -hmm. But the majority Mm -hmm. of us know. And so for that subset of renter, how do we think about offering financial services and rewards for them that actually help make that process more rewarding and incentive? rent let's continue to incentivize those rent savings let's also continue to incentivize uh, other pieces of that rent payment flow so that's a big part of how we're thinking about future product features and releases is always with that consumer hat on or as best as we can do Um, you know i think there's only so much we can do to ask our consumers what they want to see and uh, a lot of it has to really be based on uh, from coming from a place of, of real empathy and real world experience being renters ourselves. Yeah. And I, I want to uh, kind of pivot here. This is still product oriented, but a little bit marketing. You know, it's very apparent that you guys took a mobile first approach. Um, can you talk a little bit about, I mean, it seems like such a basic decision anymore of like, yes, of course you have to be mobile and, or are you at least mobile friendly? But I, I, I kind of think like it's especially if you're building a consumer f- facing brand and uh, experience, being mobile first or really mobile friendly doesn't seem to be like an option anymore. Can you talk about your decision to really go in on like building an iOS and Android app? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, you know it's interesting. I, I think when we first started, we didn't even question i think the assumption was this has to be native and available as a mobile application for ios and android and Mm -hmm. um 
And so we didn't even question it. In fact, we, we had to take a different path because we just assumed, of course, this is the right decision for the market. We ended up having to introduce on our roadmap uh, a web rewards experience. And so we almost did what the reverse of what most companies do, where they launch a web experience and they have to think about really a more native mobile experience. And so for us, we had to take everything and say, how do we actually now translate this into a web experience as well? And so, um, Mm -hmm. but again, that was really for um, a smaller demographic of our market, Um, typically people who didn't have access to mobile or or, um, Wi-Fi that could sustain the apps. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's smart. It seems like such an obvious thing, but also I don't see it coming from many other companies to be willing to to take that route. So I thought maybe there's something there. Let's talk about branding. Love the name Pinata, <laughs> and you go to the site because I'm uh, I'm I'm on that fringe. I'm a homeowner now, but you know, I use the internet on my big screen here. Right? There's this cool little character you got the coloring uh, all throughout the branding. Can you talk to me a little bit about the story behind the the name, the brand, the feel, and of course the little character? And I'm very curious if the character has a name itself. <laughs> you know, our marketing team would love that you asked this question. And <laughs> I didn't place this question. I have to tell them that and, and make sure they know. You didn't place any of the questions. Uh, for for fairness yeah, here, I'm, I'm hitting Lily. She's not prepared. I did not give her a preview here. <laughs> no, I, uh, kudos to our, our marketing and design team. They're they're pretty incredible um, and have worked on other major consumer brands. But you know, I think a big focus for us was well, the name. Let's start with the name. Um, I, actually, none of us on the founding team can take credit for the name Pinata. It was actually one of our IP lawyers over dinner, a dinner that I actually wasn't at. Um, they were looking through name ideas, and apparently the ones on the list weren't all that exciting. Many of them had the, na- the word rent in it, uh, so by default, you know, just very literal names. And oh my he gosh, said, I don't even want, 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 want to know. I don't even want to know what was on yeah. one that. I mean, I can, I can, pro- I could probably guess two or three yes, if I just probably. like threw them out there. Like good probably. rent, get rent, yeah, rent that's plus. Right. Rewards rent. Yeah, right. <laughs> I actually don't know. i got to ask uh, what the original names um, were on that list that I can't remember. But, you know, our IP lawyer said, you should just do, call it pinata because when you hit it open, all the good stuff comes out and that's what you're trying to do for renters. And I think everyone laughed at the time, but it resonated and uh, it stuck. It And I'm glad we went with it because it truly is the thing we always come back to. How do we make this great for renters and have a lot of great things and rewards out of it? Um, Now, in terms of the branding, so I I love that you noticed our character, our mascot. He is, uh, he does, or sorry, uh, they have a name. (laughs) So Max, Maxine, and, um, Mm -hmm. and Max stays with us in our web experience. You'll see Max in the mobile experience. You'll also see Max on a lot of our um, branded materials. And Max is great. Actually, I know we're on camera, but folks can't see it. You know, we have Max pins. No way. (laughs) So really great if you're wearing, you know, like a suit at a conference. So lots of great Max material. We actually do have a handmade. We have a great pinata artist that makes 
Max pinatas by hand, and they're beautiful. And so uh, we have a bunch of those that have been made. And, and um, you know, Max, I think we'll continue with our with our users. And so we're building in more financial education for renters on how to build and boost their credit scores. And Max will guide them through that that experience. So Max will. Continue. Right, I have a renter rewards idea. Yes, and it's a free pinata for uh, when you're when the paying renter has. Uh, a child's birthday and all yes. they have to do is register for that and you send them a max pinata i think that's great i love it i love it. and then that. you just put some ride along coupons in there like 20 bucks off your uh yeah our <laughs> gift cards, candy yeah something for the parents and something for the kids there yeah harry bow should be all is if harry bow is listening to this they should be on top of this this is the best possibility yeah, they should be a brand sponsor um, for us. <laughs> I'm into it. You know, I'll, I don't know if you know this. Harry, and it's totally a tangent. Harry Bow rhymes their um, tagline based on the native tongue they're selling their candy in. Hmm. So uh, I think Harry Bow is Harry Bow, kids and parents love it so, or something like that in the US. But if you like in German, it rhymes in German because it's That's a different phrase. They go to the, the end. And the last bit on the Harry Bow. I'm not obsessed. I just little things. The 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 gummy bears used to frown. Oh, why? Because they're gonna eaten. They were gonna be eaten. <laughs> but the psychology is you understand, right? If you look at a frown, what do you do and respond to a frown? You frown back. Oh. Because it's sad. You don't smile at a frown. So they change them to a smile, so it's just really fun to eat them. Um <laughs> The, the little things that yeah. I think matter and actually make a brand and really give it a true personality. The uh, behind it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot, a lot of fun here. So you're, you're. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about some of the like potentially some of the companies and, and I'm pulling from the site of like some of the companies you guys partnered with. Mm. I mean, Pinatas, you guys have only been around for a short while. Yet some of the, yeah. the companies, you, you know, you're working with established operators morgan properties renters warehouse which i think is now part of appreciate through their mm-hmm. uh, yep. SPAC merger mm-hmm. what did you have to do to demonstrate the value of pinata and especially as we already talked about like i think the last few years when like rent prices are just going up vacancy rates guaranteed to be low and in many cities like even in certain asset classes single digits what did you do to demonstrate that it was different, that it was going to bring a lot of value both to renters, but also to the operation, you know, the management company. Yeah. You know, it's, um, we have only been around for a short period or live in the market for a short period of time. And one of the things that we have really focused on is trying to stay as closely connected to our rollouts as possible. You know, even the founding executive team, while not every single one of us is on every single account, uh, we do always pair uh, somebody high level in the company on an account, so we actually know what's going mm-hmm. on and what's happening to get that almost um, almost instant feedback from the market, which has really helped accelerate product feature development, helped us prioritize on the map what needs to happen. Um, but we're showing value in the first three months. That's been our key takeaway. Anytime we launch, we are going big for these rollouts, meaning renters feel the immediate value on the points and rewards and gifts they're getting out of mm-hmm. the program. And mm-hmm. we front load that in the first three months to really help them understand 
why they should continue to stay enrolled and ensure that they're getting those rent payments in on time. And for the property groups, it's all about, for us, reporting back to them on what impact they're seeing across their portfolio, how many renters are engaged, how much money a renter is getting out of the program, how much are the credit scores increasing month over month. And so that's been a big focus for our teams as well. But, you know, I think... I think it truly is about building those relationships and trying to stay as closely connected to these groups to really understand how we can help continue to to push their initiatives and programs because any new prop tech solution they're introducing, they can actually add in a custom incentive in Pinata. So if you made an investment in smart home devices but the renter isn't using it and and hooking up their data, mm-hmm. that's that's not an active investment that's worthwhile for these groups. So they need the renters to activate those smart home devices. Or if you have a resident engagement app, but people aren't on the app, you know, how do you actually incentivize them in smart, automated ways to stay involved mm-hmm. in the program? And it is not as simple as just saying, here's a gift card once, and then assuming that renters will somehow magically totally. get engaged. So. Um, really thinking through how can we help push their other projects along with our behavioral incentive platform. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. What's been, what has been, you know, other than, you know, deliver value within the first three months, like what's been some of the, the specific feedback you've heard in opposition, you know, or maybe like a objection to, you know, from a management company to closing and maybe it's a doubt or a concern they have. What have you heard in that uh, scenario? I think the top two reasons we often get is they're overloaded. You know, these teams are stretched thin beyond the point of, of really being able to be productive. And, and so we oftentimes have groups that are kind of, um, you know, they're, they're drowning in new implementations in projects that are on their plate and so we often get the, you know, call us back or let's talk next quarter. So that's probably mm-hmm. the most common. And then the second is typically really working through um, for them how to roll it out across the portfolio. And one of the things we push for is that, you know, a, the biggest part of the portfolio that we can roll out to. And so really working with them on making sure if it is an ancillary revenue driving program, you know, and it is some sort of resident benefit package that they're rolling out with the right partners to help support that type of project. Yeah. This might be a big question, um, but talk to me like why is now the right time for doing this? There's obviously some level of meeting the market where it's at. Why is now the right time to be building Pinata? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I think I think timing timing is key for for what Pinata is doing in the market and you know, I think the beauty of what we're doing by building a universal renter rewards and loyalty program, uh, we're not we're not first in the space to build this idea of renter amenities. You know, I think mm-hmm. there have been companies before us uh, you know, Alfred is an example of really introducing this concept of additional amenities. But certainly with them, there's a dozen other companies trying, you know, doing something similar or similar model. And so, you know, I think had we tried to start Pinata 
before the amenity space picked up, that would have been a much harder time to do it. I think now we can actually really build on this this value prop of amenities can actually work in your favor. And while in some cases there's a cost to them, there's also a way to monetize and build revenue off of that and increase mm-hmm. rents in some cases. And so really um, for us, that's that's been something that we've used the momentum behind that that segment and carved out this rent reward space. Uh, we're not, no longer just the only one doing it. You know, there's, there's a credit card in the space, for example, but a big thing for us is now is the time to capture the biggest part of the renter market and really stay with a renter lease over lease as they are a renter throughout multiple cities because the beauty of Pinata Rewards is you can get rewards regardless of who you're renting from and how you pay for rent. And um, and our model really works at scale. It works when you have a lot of groups offering it to their renters and you have a lot of renters engaged on it and the brands come as well, right? The brands start to come in and, um, and that's that three-sided marketplace that really starts to work very well at scale. Yeah. Lily, we're going to jump down to the bottom of the show here uh, to my favorite segment. It's called For the Future. For the Futures, where I get to ask each guest to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Are you ready to play? Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. First one here, what does Pinata look like one year from now? Ooh. So one year from now, Pinata has tens of millions of renters on the platform. And that's uh, not just our own renters through our property partners, but truly a partner ecosystem where other groups, companies, and services can build mm. off of Pinata's partner program and really accelerate their offering as well. Love it. Number two here, when describing common rental amenities five years from now, what's on that list? Pinata. You know, I think absolutely Pinata should be on there. But I also think that the amenity space in five years will include a lot of things that now uh, we think of as excessive. Uh, Again, we used to have groups come to us and say, hey, isn't the roof over your head enough? We're barely even going to respond to maintenance issues. And I think the amenity space is really going to start looking like a lot of automation Um, a lot of home services at scale. And I I do think the partner and brand business space will start to be leveraged in smarter ways. Residents, renters, they're part of our communities, but we have local businesses that that need to really be in partnership with these renters, right? Home services, cleaning services, food services, um, childcare services. You know, how do you actually network and build up solutions that help support communities and um, community scale and grow and thrive. And I, I do think the amenity space will start to pull in a lot of these businesses in a way that that is light touch. Because again, our, our learning in the space is if you ask on-site teams to roll out too much, it's just not going to get done. So how do we mm-hmm. actually think about the amenities that can be automated but pull in the, the beauty of local as well? Number three, for the future, what's one industry trend you think will continue but you wish would go away? (laughs) Um, You know, it's, 
I don't know if I wish this will go away, but I'll, I'll say it. Maybe I'll be hated. Metaverse. You know, <laughs> I'm actually, I think the metaverse will stick around, like it or not. It's going to be around for a while. Um, I do think mm-hmm. it's so early um, right now, but we're, we, we see a lot of um, real estate plays in the metaverse that we've been tracking and, and have been, of course, approached for some potential partnership opportunities there. Um, the... The real value prop uh, right now, I think, is is low, and I and I do think it doesn't. It's not a fully inclusive space. You know, when you think about including the broadest segment of consumers and residents, uh, the metaverse is not that. Not right now. And so, uh, I don't know. I, I think I'm going to have to put metaverse on that list. I don't think you're the first person to say that, by the way. So it's you're, you're you've got some company out there. Um, if I knew what it was, then I, I would have an opinion there. So there's that. Uh, all right. And number four on for the future, what's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? Mm. <clears throat> well, listen, I think the, the rent payment, Cycles uh, are really going to change. You know, I think automation and streamlining everything we need financially for a renter to move in. Um, there's, I think, the private sector is really going to take that over, not just with tech advances, but I think just a lot of modeling advances. And so, and we're seeing that on security deposit alternatives. We're seeing that on rent payment cycles. But I think this concept of looking at, you know, rent is essentially an annual loan. That you're taking out, so there are a lot of ways to cut cut up that loan and and look at tech to automate third party players in that in that process. So I think there we're going to see a lot happening in that space. You know, J.P. Morgan's making a play um, in the rent payment Story. space. So I do think there's going to be yep. I do think there's going to be a lot happening over the course of the next call it five to ten years on some big changes there. Yeah, I was very fascinated when I saw the uh, the Chase product. Um, mm. It didn't get announced. It was like super quiet. And then I signed right. up, yeah. right? I signed I up did. with my email. And this was like six or seven months ago. It might have been eight months ago. And yeah. uh, it was before they started their PR push. And uh, I signed up as just a, a normal person. But then I knew what I was doing. I dropped the I, I dropped a note and hint of like, oh, I used to run Avail Marketing. And then I got on yeah. the phone and got a product demo. And it's actually a good looking product. It looked like it could be cool. And yeah. I was like, man, this is, it would be interesting to see how it, it, it's fascinating. A prop, I, I was excited for prop tech of like, that is high level recognition of hey renter experience and rent payment and how we work with mom pop individual landlords matters yeah. and that's as big of a brand as you could possibly think coming into that space and that's whether right. or not that takes off is the standard i don't know but it was very exciting to see you know that level recognition towards <laughs> this what was a budding industry i think is you know, very well uh, established, firmly established now and, and deserves a little bit more recognition. Lily, we're going to jump to the final three uh, questions here. These are actually more about you so our listeners get to know you better. First one, what are you reading? <laughs> you know, unfortunately, nothing exciting and no books right now. I am reading my Apple News feed. <laughs> and so 
I am certainly um, a victim of you know automated content based on what they think I like. <laughs> so you use the actual auto, the Apple News. Okay. Yeah, I'm stuck on the Google Discover. Uh, yeah, where you just open a new tab in Chrome and then it gives me a whole new new list there. Um, all right, number two, who are you learning from? Who am I learning from? Oh, what a great question. You know, I am learning from. I'm a new mother. So I'm learning from my kids. I am learning from my kids on how to really step away and be present. I'm learning on curiosity and creativity again. You know, I think uh, it's it's nice to to have that moment of, of the day where I can step into that. Last one here. What inspires you? Mm, another great but very difficult question. <laughs> You know, um, I have to say, I really look to my co-founding team, you know, a big part of, you know, I think startups, startups, I don't think startups are difficult. You know, it is a lot of ups and downs. It is at times very grueling and at times the most exhilarating, fulfilling thing. And I think I, I find a lot of inspiration from seeing my co-founding team really persevere through, um, you know, times of uncertainty, times of massive growth and, and really um, helping me to, I think in, in moments, stay level-headed, grounded, um, mm-hmm. at peace. And I think a lot of, a lot of this comes back to having that, that sense of balance when you're in, uh, in an industry and in space that requires imbalance sometimes. <laughs> and so I think it's, it's been nice to see my co-founders achieve that. And a lot of them have experience doing this before um, and doing it many times before. So, so I'm taking that, taking a lot of notes on, on how to do it here and do it even better this time. Louie, this has been really great. I thoroughly appreciate your time and uh, the level of detail and sharing about Pinata and what you're working on and the vision moving forward. Before we close out the episode, for those who want to reach you or learn more about Pinata, where do they go and how do they do that? Hmm, great question. Pinata.ai. Check us out. Uh, you can also check us out on LinkedIn and we have Instagram and uh, feel free to also shoot me a note directly, which is just my first name at pinata.ai. There it is. I look forward to seeing you at the next PropTech conference, not in Vegas. Yes, I'm looking forward <laughs> to not in Vegas. <laughs> we'll see you then. Thanks, Nate. Thanks for listening to TechNest. The PropTech Podcast. Find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode on technest.io. You can get future episodes delivered to your ears directly by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other major podcast apps. Follow TechNest on social media to stay up to speed on new developments, resources, and announcements in PropTech. Your support is greatly appreciated. There's two ways you can directly support this podcast. Share episodes you find interesting and then leave a review of the show in the App Store. From Nate and the TechNest team, thanks for listening.